Our topic tonight out of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Now, before we get into chapter 13, we're going to uh, kind of get us up to date with some statements out of chapter 5, verse 14. I was appointed to be their governor in Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years. Okay, so he's governor, Nehemiah is governor for 12 years. He becomes governor because uh, he's the king's cupbearer and message comes to him in chapter 1. We read about that uh, he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are not built yet and there's opposition, there's persecution, there's problems. And so he prays, he prays for four months and an opportunity opens up. He's able to share with the king the burden on his heart and God moves upon the king's heart favorably and King Artaxerxes allows him to go to Jerusalem to assess the situation and to build the walls of Jerusalem. And he goes and he does that. There's lots of opposition and problems, but he, by God's grace, with the help of the people, they're able to build the walls of the Jerusalem and protection, give them protection. And then he becomes governor, and he reigns as governor for 12 years. So, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6. In the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem. So he came to Jerusalem the first time, and he reigned as governor 12 years. At the end of that 12 years, as we just read in verse 6, he goes back to King Artaxerxes, and he's there for certain days. It doesn't say how long. We don't know what certain days meant, how long that was. He's there for a time, and then he comes back to Jerusalem. This is the second time now coming to Jerusalem from Persia. And so on the timeline of this series we've been doing on this uh, post-exile, the return from Babylon, starting with King Cyrus, the Persian king, who... Uh, under prophecy, he was prophesied in the book of Isaiah and, and Daniel and Jeremiah, say that we're going to come back. And, and so we do come back, we're able to return, a group of us were able to return from Babylon to Jerusalem, to Israel. And some of the leaders were Zerubbabel, the governor, and Yeshua, the Kohen Gadol, and some of the prophets were Haggai and Zechariah. And the temple begins to get rebuilt under much opposition, and then it gets stopped because. King Cyrus dies and some other kings come in and there's opposition and, and so it gets halted for a while and then Darius king comes along and gives a second decree allowing us to complete the building and, and so the temple is then completed. And we go 57 years and that first part is written in the book of Ezra. Even though Ezra wasn't born when that took place, he's one who gives us that, that history that it just kind of summarized, including plus with Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets. And then we go 57 years and nothing is recorded about that time period. Ezra, again, he recorded that first portion in the first six or so chapters of the book named Ezra, but he doesn't write anything about this 57 years. Why not? Why isn't there any prophet? Why isn't there any message? Why isn't there any writings about this whole 57 or so year period of time? because they were doing right in the sight of the Lord. There was no problems. There was no need for a prophet. There was no need for a message. There was no need for a rebuke. And when the Bible is silent, it's because we are doing what is right. And there are more silent periods, time periods, and longer silent time periods 
then there are bad time periods of when the Bible is speaking and writing. It, when we read the Bible, it sounds like, oh, we're bad all the time. But it's only because that's when God writes. That's only when the prophet comes. That's only when the rebuke is there and then it gets written about. But time periods like this, 57 years, the Bible's quiet because we're in obedience. And so more often we were living in obedience than disobedience. So 50 years, 70 years of quiet in Jerusalem and Israel. And now the book of Esther takes place during that time, but that's in Shushan. And the problem takes place. And so uh, it's written about, and we have the book of Esther, and God steps in. And of course, the powerful story of the book of Esther. Then uh, at the end of that 57 years, Ezra begins writing again, I think again, it's chapter 7 or so. And he picks up his book then on when he came to Jerusalem. And when he came to Jerusalem, he found there was a problem there. Uh, people were intermarrying uh, with unbelievers, and he falls down and rips his clothes and tears out his hair and is praying and, and repenting for their sins. He, and, and it works out a revival, and the people repent, and they get rid of these uh, false wives, these, these pagan wives or pagan spouses. And again, a revival takes place. And so we have a few chapters on Ezra, all taking place in a relatively short period of time. And then his book ends, and we go about 12 years till Nehemiah. Now, Ezra is still alive at that time because he's written about in the book of Nehemiah. But 12 years go by, and he doesn't write anything. He wrote stuff from before he was born, and he wrote about that experience of, that I just described. And then he goes 12 years without writing anything. Why doesn't he write about those 12 years? Exactly. They were doing what was right. They were living right. So there was nothing to write about. They were doing good. And then Nehemiah, again, as we described, he writes about how he came to help build the walls. And then the first 12 chapters of Nehemiah, there's only 13 chapters in the book, 12 chapters are spent covering a few-month period of time. His four months of praying before going into, before the king, and then 52 days, I think it is, of building the walls. So in less than two months, that whole, the whole 12 chapters are covering, and then you go 12 years that he's governor, and he doesn't write anything. Ezra doesn't write anything. Nehemiah doesn't write anything. Why? Another 12 years, or 11 and a half years, whatever, of doing good, of doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. And now chapter 13 comes along because there's another problem. And so now he writes about it, and that's where we pick up with what's happening here in chapter 13. So in that time period of those time periods, 80 or something years, most of it was peaceful and good. A few months with Ezra, correcting Reformation. A few months with Nehemiah, correcting Reformation. And most of those were good years. So let's get to this chapter 13, this last portion, this last problem before we go into basically 400 years where Malachi prophet comes and parallels with Nehemiah, some of the same things Nehemiah is dealing with. Malachi writes, so he might have been right at Malachi's time, Nehemiah's time, uh, backing him up, just like Haggai and Zechariah backed up Zerubbabel. And so then we go 400 years in obedience to the Lord, because nothing's written. So let's look at this chapter 13, verse 4. Now before this, before what, everything we just did, before he came back, uh, went to Back to King Xerxes before he comes back. Now, before this, Elishahib, the Kohen, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. 
Now, who was Tobiah? Anyone remember who Tobiah was? Do we need to go back to chapter 1? Do we need to read the book of Nehemiah again? If you missed it, you can listen to it on shalomadventure.com. We have it posted there. Tobiah was an Ammonite who was against everything that Nehemiah stood for. He was against Israel. He was against Jerusalem. He was against the building of the walls. He's one of the ones who said, oh, if they build those walls, mocking, if they build those walls, oh, a fox will walk on it and knock it over. He allied himself with the Arabs in opposition to the building, sending an army to try and attack them and stop them, lying and trying to bring Nehemiah down, saying falsehoods about Nehemiah, opposing him all along the way. And now this Cohen has made an alliance with this guy, of all people? Again, a problem probably of intermarrying with, into his family. Now this Elishahib, where is he mentioned? In the book of Nehemiah, there's verses and verses and verses of people's names. Two old chapters, like 11 and 12, basically listing all these different people who've done these various different things. And there's another section where it's listing of who built the walls and what section of the wall and this person and his family and this person with this position, this guy who does this, he's a goldsmith, or this guy who's, who's, a, who's a merchant, and they're building this section of the wall. And these names and names and names. Nehemiah gave a lot of credit to the various different people who were doing all these wonderful things for God. And all those names, all those verses of all those people, Elishahib, the Kohen, is not mentioned. Not mentioned for doing anything good, not mentioned for repenting, not mentioned for uh, giving up a pagan wife and doing what was right. He's not mentioned at all. Until here. Now he gets mentioned in infamy for making an alliance with Tobiah, the enemy of God's people. What did he do? Verse 5, Elishahib the Kohen had prepared for Tobiah the Ammonite a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine, and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the Kohenim. So there's this large room, this storehouse, for storing the tithe and offerings for the Levites and mentioned by name these grain offerings, new wine, oil, frankincense, important items prefiguring the coming of the Messiah. And in this large room where all these items are, he gives that to Tobiah. Unbelievable. I discovered, verse 7, I discovered the evil that Elishahib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. During all this, I was not in Jerusalem. This is when he was with King Artaxerxes, when he had gone back after the 12 years. He'd gone back for certain days. And while he's away, Elishahib does this. While the cat's away, the rats are eating holes into the walls, eating the food in the pantry doing all kinds of dirty deeds. Maybe Elisa thought, well, maybe he's gone, maybe he won't come back. 
Maybe he'll die on the way, die on the way back. Maybe it's a long journey. Maybe he'll get a promotion there. Maybe the king will set him up. And he won't want to come back. And so he makes this allegiance and defiles the storehouse of God. And Jeremiah says, I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't even here. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms and brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. And no doubt the other items eventually, the new oil and the, uh, the oil and the new wine, grapes, John, the grape juice, the fresh first fruits. I can imagine, I can picture Nehemiah, as we've seen in other chapters, just the fire in his bones, just taking action right away. How dare you do these things? And casting them out. Tobiah, get out of here. Grabbing furniture, grabbing, grabbing chairs and tables and throwing them out. Grabbing whatever's there, TV sets, refrigerators, whatever he had. Throw them out. Get out of the house of God. Like Yeshua turning over the tables of the money changers. How dare you defile the household of God, the temple of God. I mean, of all places, this Tobiah, who didn't even want the walls built, is now not only in the walls of Jerusalem, but in the temple courts. And of all places, in the storehouse, where these holy sanctified items are placed to put for holy use, to be used for the Levites. And all these symbols, the sanctuary itself symbolizes the Messiah to come. And here a defilement has been brought in. Evil has been brought in. And replacing the holy things pointing forward to the Messiah, the frankincense, like what he'd be anointed with at his birth. The grain, the word of God, his flesh, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, the new wine, the oil, the Holy Spirit. All these symbols are cast out of the storehouse and replaced with an enemy of God by a Kohen. Nehemiah takes action, casts him out, and then cleanses the temple, cleanses the room anyway, and then brings back the holy items. Praise God for Nehemiah. Praise God for people like Nehemiah. I'd imagine if you were living in that day, if I was living in that day, we would do like Nehemiah, right? Wouldn't we do that? Don't you think you would do something like that? If you saw that, if you saw someone defiling the, the temple of God, you would take a stand. You wouldn't allow that to happen, right? You'd hope so, right? Imagine so. Well, we really don't have to imagine. We really don't have to think and guess and, and picture it and guess whether or not we would do that or not. Because we can look in the mirror. We can ask the Holy Spirit to search us and try us and show us, are we defiling the temple of God today? Have we removed the holy things and brought in 
vile things? The Bible says that, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Have we, have you, have I, have we brought in evil into our minds, into our hearts, into our bodies? Have we replaced the things that God has placed for holy use with things that are worldly and corrupt? Enemies of God? Carnal against God? What fills our minds? What fills our thoughts? Is it holy, good, just, right, pure? Think on these things. What do we think about? We think about what we don't have, what we could have, what we should have. Do we think about what he did to me, she did to me, this happened? That I didn't get, that I should have got? Not right, not fair? What do we think about? What are we allowing to go into our heads? What are we viewing with our eyes? What are we reading? What are we watching? What are we listening to? Is it pure and holy and right? Should it be in God's temple? What is in our house? What is in our lives? What physical things? What do we take into our body physically? What do we eat? Are we eating the things that God created that are good for us? Are we eating and ingesting the empty calorie junk of this world that are poisoning our bodies and weakening our bodies? Nicotine, tobacco, drugs, alcohol, sugars, empty junk, processed junk, basically plastic junk. What are we taking into the temple of God? What are we taking into our minds? What are we taking into our bodies, our mouths, our stomachs? What are we taking into our time? Have we pushed out the holy things of God? Have we pushed out the times of prayer? Have we pushed out the times of intercession, of praying for others? Have we pushed out ministry and talking and preaching and sharing and talking, witnessing to others? and replaced it with idle things. We pushed out the reading of God's word. Have we pushed out faithful, regular Sabbath keeping, faithful attendance of God's word in the family of God, in the temple of God? Have we pushed that out and replaced it with whatever other activities? Are we defiling the temple? Again, our minds, our bodies, the time that God has given us. Have we been defiling the household of God, the family of God, with gossip and backbiting and negativity, doubt and discouragement? Twisted word of God, corruption and false doctrines. What are we doing in the household of God? What are we doing to the physical houses of God? 
Are we keeping them holy and just and good, or are we letting just junk come in? Secondhand stuff. Not treating it righteous and holy. Not caring about its upkeep. Not taking responsibility. Not taking accountability. Not stepping up to the plate to do our part to help keep God's temple looking good. God's places of worship looking good. Looking representative of Him. Are we letting defiling things come in? Worldly music. I remember I was at a, a conference for ministers. And they started playing a song, an instrumental. I was thinking, I heard that before. And I was trying to think, trying to think, where did I hear that before? Where did I hear that before? I'm trying to think of the words. And then it hit me. It was a John Lennon song. If it was a Beatle, horrible song. I won't even tell you the name because I don't want it to stick in your head. I couldn't believe it. And actually words that are in opposition to the word of God. I almost stood up and I should have stood up and said, this is defilement. Get this out of here. What are you listening to? What are you playing here? What have we brought into the temple of God? We have ministers preaching in torn jeans. Where's the holiness? Supposed to represent God, represent heaven, represent heavenly things. The family of God is supposed to represent the unity, the love of God. Have we brought love into the family of God? Or do we bring bitterness and anger and resentment, pride and greed? pushing our way into positions and power and influence and manipulating to get our way and our opinion and our vote. What are we doing to the family of God? Are we bringing in the carnal? What's happening to the witness? people seeing the oil? Are people seeing the Holy Spirit upon us? Are they seeing the anointing upon us? Are they seeing that we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, the new wine? Are they seeing the sweet incense, smell of love and joy and happiness and fellowship? Are they seeing the unity? Are they hearing the word of God? preached, or empty calories? Are they seeing, hearing the new grain or old white bread? Stories, analogies, jokes, illustrations. It's the pure word of God being preached in the household of God. And again, the individual temples, what are we doing with our own personal mind, body, time, Influence. Are we being Nehemiahs? Are you willing to say, get out of here? Get this out of my mind, this negative thought in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Get the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I will not think these thoughts anymore. I will not allow this evil negative thought to go in my mind anymore. I will not accept those lies. 
you're willing to be a Nehemiah and say, get out of my schedule, this thing that doesn't have anything to do to uplift and help and bless. You're willing to throw out that DVD or the, I don't even have DVDs anymore. You're willing to throw out that useless channel or that useless waste of money to whatever. You're willing to stop going to that website. You're willing to stop looking, listening to that music. You're willing to cast it out of your life. I was speaking like this, teaching like this. Uh, I can remember two occasions in particular, probably more, but two I can remember. I've stopped saying I'll never forget because I'm forgetting things. So I won't say, oh, I never forget. But I do it that I remember anyway. Speaking like this, general terms, general things. And the person came up to me, were you referring to that thing on my wall? I know what he was talking about. I know what you're talking about. Went on, well, yeah, you were. Never saw him again. Another time again, reading the Word of God, reading the Bible text. person said, are you saying that such and such I need to stop doing? I need to get this out of my life. I didn't say anything. We're reading the Word of God. Did I mention that? Did I say that? I didn't say that. Never saw that person either. So I didn't say those things. Somebody was saying those things, this thing on the wall, this other person's life. Someone was saying it to them. The Holy Spirit was saying it to them. And they chose to resist and reject the Holy Spirit. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. Cast out of your life everything that defiles, everything that's not of heaven, Whatever God's bringing to your mind, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Let go of it. Let the Holy Spirit cleanse you through the blood of Messiah. And let him anoint you with the Holy Spirit and fill you with the new grain, the new wine, the, the word of God, the new wine, the anointing of the Messiah, the blood of Messiah, the frankincense and the oil, the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you, fill your life, and anoint your life, and bless your life. Another person shared a story with me. They, they had gone on a trip to Haiti at some point in their life, and, and they came under conviction, this thing that they bought there, they didn't know what it was, it was some kind of little thing. They thought they just thought it looked interesting. They, and one day they said, you know, we don't know what this thing is. We don't know what it was used for. We don't know what, it was, what its purpose was for. I don't know anything about this thing. I know what some of these spiritual horrible things that uh, they do in Haiti. This might not be good. We don't want this here. And so they got rid of it. They threw it away. Better safe than sorry. It's not worth it. Another friend of mine became convicted. He became a believer shortly after he became a believer within a year or so. Becoming a believer. We were talking together and praying together one day and and he came with the conviction that he had all this alcohol in his garage. And he asked me an opinion of it. And he didn't want to throw it away. He felt he should, but he didn't, he didn't know what to do with it. Not so much because he wanted the alcohol. He gained victory over that. God took that out of his life. He had no desire for it. But it was all the money he spent on it, cases and cases. And yet he didn't think he should sell it because then he would make someone else drunk and become an alcoholic and ruin their lives. 
because I didn't know what to do with it. And so we prayed about it, and he decided, yes, I need to get rid of it. And so we took him bottle after bottle outside, out to the sewer there, right outside his driveway, and, and started pouring it down. I don't know how many fish we made drunk or killed or whatever. We were pouring it down the drain, pouring it down the sewer. People from across the street came running out of their house. What are you doing? Stop, stop. We were able to witness to them. No, we don't want this stuff anymore. It destroys brains, it destroys lives, it destroys marriages. It's not good. It's not holy. It's fermented. It's old wine. Old and not good. Spoiled. So he poured it out. He poured it down. Got rid of it. You're willing to be in their mind and get rid of whatever's in your life. That's not of God. That's not of heaven. That what Yeshua sitting right in your house with you would not approve of. He is in your house, right? You invite him into your home, right? Would he approve of those things that you have there? What you watch, what you do, what you say, what you eat, what you talk about, what you think about, what you read. Internally, externally, would you allow Yeshua to walk through your house, every room, every closet, every drawer, every part of your mind, every motive? Would he cast them out? Would he turn the tables over? He's not going to physically come and do that, but he wants you to do that. He wants you to be in Nehemiah. Cast it out. Are you willing to cast it out? Don't wait till the end of the sermon for the appeal. Right now, in your heart and mind, say, Lord, give me the power to cast that thing out. Get rid of that unclean thought, that unclean thing on the wall, or whatever it is, or wherever it is. Give me the power to do what's right. Be a Nehemiah, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites had the singers who, uh, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work, had gone back to his field. So Nehemiah realizes that the, the, the stuff in the storehouse disappeared wherever it went. Tobiah and his Cohen, maybe they pocketed it, maybe they gave it to their friends. Corrupt. Leaders misusing the tithes and offerings. And so the people didn't want to give. And so the portions the Levites had not been given to them was, they didn't have then the funds, and so they went back to the fields. They went back to work. Well, maybe that was wrong. They, uh, you know, maybe they got to the point where they had no more, they had no food, they had to go eat. Hopefully, at least some of them stayed on as long as possible. I contended with the rulers and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? I gathered them together and set them in their place. Set them right. Set them straight. Again, Nehemiah, man of action, decisiveness for right and wrong, and set them in their place. Put the Levites back to work, out of the field. Maybe you've left the field God has called you to. Maybe you've left the ministry God has called you to. Maybe not a full-time ministry, but whatever. Maybe a ministry that you're more involved with, ministering to others, and maybe you got burned out on it. Maybe there wasn't enough help. 
Maybe you got distracted. Maybe something else came up in your life. And the time got pushed out by this other stuff. And God hadn't called you to leave that post. Maybe you had the first love experience with the Lord and you just needed to share it with everybody. You need to tell everybody about God's love. And you were witnessing to everybody and you've lost that first love and not witnessing as much anymore. Maybe you never had that. Maybe you've never experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord that just bursts out to others that you've got to tell other people. If you never had that, ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you give you the mind of Yeshua, the burden and the love for others. And if you lost that first love experience, let the Holy Spirit set you straight and back right again. Like the disciples, after the resurrection, they saw the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. They talked with him in Jerusalem. They ate with him in Jerusalem. Thomas put his hands in his fingers, his fingers in his hands. And then what'd they do? what did the disciples do after that? After seeing the resurrected Lord, what'd they do after that? You remember? They went back to Galilee. Why'd they go back to Galilee? What'd they do in Galilee? They went back fishing. Fishing. They had just seen the Messiah resurrected. And they went fishing? Yeshua had to come there and rebuke them. They caught nothing all that night. Like a similar time before that. Yeshua had to set them straight again. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love him? Do you love the Lord? Feed his sheep. Get back in service for the Lord. Have you gone back to the field? Have you gone back to the world? Have you gone back to just the stuff? Getting God's service. And you don't have to be full-time service. Plumber needs to be in the service of the Lord. Lawyer needs to be in the service of the Lord. Whatever your vocation, whether a parent, whatever, and all your different hats that we wear, we need to be witnessing for the Lord. We need to be testimony, living testimonies for the Lord. Again, you are the temple that they're looking to. Are they seeing the oil? Are they seeing the new wine? Are they seeing the Holy Spirit? Are they seeing the anointing of the Messiah? Are they seeing Yeshua in you? Is it cleansed? Is it holy? Is it sanctified? Is it set apart for holy use? Are you being used by him and ministering for him? Be set right. Be set straight. Go back to witnessing. And if you never have, be filled with the Holy Spirit and share the word of God. Verse 12. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. He set them straight. He did it right. The people saw. Nehemiah is back in charge. Things are going right again. And they began to return again their tithe and offerings. Now, they never should have stopped. Even though it was being misused and corrupted, being corrupted in Yeshua's day, and yet when he saw the, uh, the widow come, all she had was two mites. He didn't go running over. No, 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 don't give it to them. They're corrupt. They're going to kill me in a little bit. Don't give it to them. No, give it to Judas. No, don't give it to Judas. Give it to Peter. Give it to John. No, he didn't do that. It was the storehouse. It was the right place. 
being misused. She still got credit for it. She's still remembered today. Her record is still in heaven. But those who misuse it, they'll be held accountable. God's called us to bring it to the storehouse. Because in the storehouse is accountability. There can be an audit. And if you believe that funds are being misused and need to be part of the system to help make sure that things are done right and correctly and used for evangelism, used for sharing the word of God, used for making the temple of God beautiful and holy and acceptable with air conditioning and where people can hear the word of God in a balanced way, not with marble toilets and crystal cathedrals and gaudy, wasteful, beyond measure, drawing attention to self, but in a balanced way, it should look clean, like Yeshua's garments. How do we know Yeshua had good garments? Because the Romans cast lots who was going to get it, and they divided it up. If it was rags, they wouldn't have done that. But we can't picture him wearing pearls and jewels and gems, and but it was clean and good material, and so our temple should be as well. We should give, and give faithfully. And if it's being misused, we need to help set the thing straight. God has called us to give and hold, God will hold those who have charge of it accountable. We need to be in the process of making sure that those who, again, are held accountable. We need to bring in faithfully Regardless, because God will hold us accountable for what we do, whether we withhold it or not, whether we give faithfully or not. God will hold us accountable. God will judge us on that. And so Judah began to bring the tithes and the grain and the new wine and the oil into the storehouse. Today, the new generation is giving less percentages than they did in the past. That's not a good sign. Now, they may be given to other causes, maybe not irreligious causes and non-religious causes, or maybe just however they feel. They see some homeless person, they just give them some money. Without a book, without a track, without a prayer, without a testimony, without glory to God. Who knows how that person's going to use it? Maybe he'll go buy some alcohol. Who knows what he's going to do with it? But in the storehouse, God gets the honor and glory. And there could be a ministry outside, out of the congregation to help those in need who pray with the person, who invite them to services, who, who share a book with them or a Bible with them. Build it up. Building up the kingdom of God into the storehouse. That's why God had it, has it designed into the storehouse where it can be accountable and where God can be honored and glorified in how it's used. Not as we desire, but as God outlines. He set them straight, and they brought it back. The tithe and the offerings faithfully. Tithe means 10%. It's the right amount. It's the biblical amount. And then the offering on top, as God moves upon your heart and mind. Verse 13, still chapter 13, Nehemiah. I appointed a treasurer over the storehouse of whoever it's going in, for they were considered faithful and their task was to distribute to their brethren. 
Right? So Nehemiah picked someone who was faithful to do the treasury and, and, and people that are faithful. We need to pick faithful people to be over the finances of God. And so it doesn't matter if they're a treasurer, I mean, an accountant in their life. If they're not faithful to God, they shouldn't be on the finance committee. I don't care if they're rich or, or in some position or what they drive or where they live. If they're not faithful in their lives, in every aspect of their lives, they shouldn't be in a faithful position of making financial decisions for the congregations. And the funds should be distributed properly and rightly based on the principles laid out in the Word of God. I believe that if everyone gave faithfully tithes and offerings, we'd be in heaven before now. We're still stuck here because people aren't giving. And even sometimes because what is given is not used properly. And God, again, will hold us accountable for that. We should be in heaven long before now. People will give more to a sick dog than they will to save souls. What are our priorities? What have we replaced? What have we cast out and put in? How are we using the holy, sanctified, set-apart tithe and offerings that God has placed in our hands? Are we being faithful, use stewards of them? Individually, personally, and as a congregation, are we being faithful with what God has placed in our hands to use for his honor and glory? And not only the 10% tithe and the offering, but how about the rest of it? Are we using it faithfully? We should be good stewards of the rest of it as well. And then verse 14, remember me, O my God, considering, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Interesting prayer. Remember me. He prays this three times in this chapter, and we've divided this, this chapter, chapter Nehemiah 13, to three sermons, each of them ending with this phrase, Remember me, O God. So he prays three different times. So there's three different segments in this chapter. And each one he prays, Remember me, O my God. Interesting. Now, what did he mean by that? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe he meant, remember me. Don't forget what I did. I did good deeds. Remember me. Don't forget me. And if that's the case, God answered his prayer. God never left him nor forsook him. God has engraved him on the palms of his hands. God has remembered him. Maybe he meant, may I be remembered. May my name go down in history. And be remembered. And I don't think so, but, but if that's what he meant, that's been answered too. Here we are 2,400 years later talking about Nehemiah. We've remembered his name. He's been remembered. Maybe he meant the good deeds that you have done through me. May the people remember. If I have to go back to King Artaxerxes for a time, may they not backslide again. May they not fall back again. May they remember and be faithful. When I die, may they remember and be faithful. And if that's what he meant in his prayer, then that was answered as well, because again, we go about 400 years and the people remain faithful. Maybe he meant, God, may 
the good deeds that you've done through me, the example, the actions, the righteousness, may it be remembered in the hearts and minds of people that they may emulate it too. They may copy this example. May they be filled with the same spirit that you filled me with. May they cast out of their lives, out of their hearts, out of their times, out of their schedules, out of their houses of God, their houses of worship, out of their fellowship, everything that defiles. May they remember to be faithful in tithes and offerings. May they do likewise. And if that's his prayer, then that's been remembered too, because there have been faithful people down through the ages. Maybe meant Maybe he meant, remember me in the sense of use my life to prefigure the Messiah. And if that's the case, it does in some ways, just like Abraham does in some days, ways, and David does in some ways, and Moses does in some ways. Nehemiah was before the king's throne. And he left the king's throne and came to Jerusalem. Yeshua, at the throne of the king of the universe, sitting at his right hand, left his high and holy position, equal to the Father, God from eternity, and came to this earth. Nehemiah experienced opposition and resistance, persevered through, built the walls. Yeshua received opposition persecution, and built up Jerusalem. Not the physical, but the, the people of God, the spiritual. Nehemiah ministered for a time and then left. Went back to the king. Yeshua ministered for a time and went back to the king. After certain days, Nehemiah came back. And after certain days, Yeshua will come back as well. When Nehemiah came back, he acted as a judge. He cleansed the household of God, began at the temple of God in judgment. And when Yeshua comes back again, he's coming back as judge. Separate the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats, destroy the wicked, take the righteous into his storehouse, into his barns. So in many ways, Nehemiah has been remembered in the life of Yeshua prefiguring the Messiah. And so may we pray, Lord, live in me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That your actions, your deeds would be remembered, that would be seen, would be copied. Make me a living example. And so, in a moment when we pray, Whatever area applies to you, let God do in your life. If you want to pray, God, make me a Nehemiah. Make me faithful. Give me determination. Give me the ability to stand for what is right. Live through me. And you can pray that. If you're willing to be a Nehemiah and cast out of your own life, 
whatever is entered in, whatever is defiling, whatever keeping you from being fully filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever is occupying your time, whatever is occupying your mind, whatever is occupying your body, whatever is occupying your lifestyle, that is not in harmony with God. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, let Yeshua cleanse it through his blood and cast it out of your life. Let him give you the strength to cast it out, to stop doing it, to set your life straight. Third, if there's an area in your life, something physically in your life, something physically in your home, or in your car, in your schedule, something that is not right, God's bringing to your mind that God's convicting you of. In the moment when we pray, ask God to give you the Holy Spirit and the power to follow through on the conviction and to physically get rid of whatever's there. That should not be there. If you haven't been returning a faithful tithe and offering, commit your life to God. Surrender, confess, whatever it is, whether it's a fear of not having enough, which is ridiculous because if we give to God, God will give us the ability to stretch, God will stretch whatever's left over. And so if it's fear or selfishness or greed or lack of faith or excuse that they'll misuse the funds anyway, whatever it is, confess the excuses Cast them out through the power and blood of Yeshua. And ask God to give you the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to faithfully return a tithe and offering to him into his storehouse. If you've stopped ministering or never have been ministering, you've gone to the field, you've gone back fishing, God is moving upon your heart and mind and convicting you to be a shining light for him, to be a witness for him, to be a testimony for him. Pressing on your heart and mind some area of ministry where you can serve, where you can use the talents and, and abilities that God has blessed you with in his service. In a moment when we pray, surrender your life to the Lord and say, Lord, use me. Forgive me for misusing my time. Forgive me for neglecting the calling that you've placed upon me. Lord, use me. Take me. I'm yours. Win souls for your kingdom through me. If any of those areas apply to you, maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about through this service, or even before, maybe whatever you're reading, whatever you're doing. If you haven't been on a devotional schedule, if that, maybe you were at one time, maybe your family devotion, maybe your personal devotion time has gotten crowded out with something else, Recommit your life to the Lord and determine and by his power get back on a faithful devotion, morning, evening devotion, family devotion as well, Sabbath worship as well in the household of God. If you've neglected that or been sporadic with that, ask God to put you straight and set you straight. If maybe in, in the congregation, if something's wrong or something in your life or somewhere that there's some corruption or misuse of funds or misuse of time, 
and speak to the right ones in the right place at the right time in the right way that things can be set right and set straight. If any of those areas apply to you, let's pray and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your love. We're thankful, Lord, for Nehemiah. We're thankful for that example. Thankful, Lord, that he has been remembered. We're thankful that we have the recorded history. Lord, make us faithful like Nehemiah. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us with your oil. Cleanse us through the new wine. Perfume us with your fragrance. Fill us with your word. Live in us and out of us. Push up and out of us everything that's not of heaven, everything that defiles. We give you permission, Lord, to convict us, to show us, to reveal to us. Give us the courage and the strength and the power to turn from our wicked ways and to turn onto you. Take our time, our means, our finances, our talents, everything, we surrender it at your feet. Our homes, our cars, everything, we surrender it at your feet. May they all glorify you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.